Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Lifestyle Mastery and today I'm excited to have Brittany Hodak, who's an award-winning entrepreneur, author and customer experience speaker who has delivered keynotes across the globe to organizations including the American Express and, and the United Nations. She's worked with some of the biggest brands including Walmart, Disney, uh, Katy Perry and Dolly Parton. She founded and scaled an entertainment startup to eight figures before exiting as the former Chief Experience Officer, Experience.com, uh, and she's uh, she's the author of the, of the new book, which is called Creating Superfans, that uh, was launched on January 10th of this year, where she shares a powerful framework for transforming your business from a commodity uh, into a category of one. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Thanks, Rohit. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. So, uh, you know, Brittany, how did you get your start in uh, in startups and how did you get your start in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in this world of customer experience? Well, I became an entrepreneur completely by accident, like so many entrepreneurs, uh, excuse me, like so many entrepreneurs that I know. And I was living in New York in 2010, and I'd had an idea that I'd been trying to make happen for several years within various companies that I worked for. And I couldn't ever really get the support behind the idea to, to see it through. And I pitched the idea to several retail partners, including Walmart, as a part of my work for those companies. And Walmart really believed in the idea. And so the buyer said, why don't you just launch your own company and I'll support you? And I said, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I would love that. So with the support of Walmart and some of their partners, I launched my company in 2011 and very quickly grew and scaled it, working with some of the biggest brands and entertainers in the world. As you mentioned, people like Katy Perry and Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift and you know other giant brands soon followed after Walmart, big retailers like Target and Amazon, but big consumer packaged good brands too. So I very quickly became hyper aware of the customer experience that my customers were having, both the in customers at retail who were going into stores to buy all of these products that I was helping these people develop, and also uh, the customers at every step in between, the artists that I was working with, the managers, the record labels, the publicists, everyone at Walmart, sort of everyone in that chain. And I started to think about how important experience was because ultimately experience is the thing that we remember. It's the thing that makes us work with an organization again. And it's the thing that really dictates what we say to our friends and colleagues when they say, hey, what did you think about this company? Or hey, what did you think about this restaurant? Or what did you think about this vacation destination? So I started to really think about how to improve customer experiences at every step of the customer journey to get more repeat and referral business. And that led to another completely accidental occupation, which is now I'm a keynote speaker and an author, and I am obsessed with all things customer experience. Uh, and, and interesting. And, you know, uh, you were able to successfully exit out of Superman, Superfan Company. Uh, what was the experience of, you know, building and scaling up and finally exiting uh, out, of, out of that company? Yeah, you know, it was... I would say building it was was amazing. I was 25 when I 26 when I launched the company something like that. And so I didn't have 
I didn't have a lot of commitments in terms of I didn't have kids yet. I didn't have a mortgage. Like I was just living in an apartment in New York. My expenses were relatively low. I had paid off my student loans. Like I was able to sort of make a gamble. And I realized how fortunate I was. I also realized that was like the time to do it if I was ever going to do it. And I made the decision to bootstrap the company rather than accepting capital at the beginning and kept it bootstrapped through my entire tenure in the company. There were several times that we almost uh, accepted investments. My co-founder and I were actually on Shark Tank and on the show did an investment, although we didn't end up going uh, going through with that after the show when we got you know, to the to the negotiating table and 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 sort of uh, looked at the the long term benefits of that. But I'm really proud of of bootstrapping the company. I'm really proud to growing it to eight figures in revenue when I was doing the sales exclusively by myself for the first like three or four years, and then um, the majority of the sales from that point forward. And yes, I did exit the company. I sold the majority of my equity to one of my founding partners and, and an employee. So it wasn't like a huge, you know, it wasn't an eight figure payout, but it was, uh, it was, it was a nice exit. And I would say, honestly, one of the things that was kind of hard about it was the identity part. And I know from talking to other entrepreneur friends, they sort of go through this where you exit a business and you're like, now what? And people still associate you with the business because it was your baby. And, you know, it's funny, somebody said to me once, oh, when you exit a business, it's kind of like putting your baby up for adoption. And I was like, well, to me, it felt more like my baby was going off to college. Like I had done my part. I had done my job. I had fulfilled all of my obligations and I wanted it to continue to, you know, grow and thrive and be successful. I just didn't want to be doing it 40 hours or 50 hours or 70 hours a week anymore. Are interesting, and uh, and you talked about you know Shark Tank where you received your know, six figure offers. What was the experience all about? Because yeah, you know I I come from India, and uh, and Shark Tank India has just recently launched and it's become such a big show. Uh, so what was your entire experience? And do you think uh, you know people should look at such such sort of uh, TV uh, serial to go there and you know put yourself over there? Yeah, I mean, I think it absolutely depends on your business model and your um, your motivations, like what it is that you that you're looking for long term. I would not suggest that anybody go on the show as like a last ditch effort or as you know their 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 only path forward. Because I would say if you have a hard time getting traditional investors, either through angels or VCs or a line of credit, then you're probably not going to find a lot of success on the show. Um, if you have something that particularly aligns well with one of the sharks on the show, then it also might be an amazing opportunity. But I think for most entrepreneurs, it's doing the deal is very expensive capital. Like you're absolutely giving a premium, either in terms of the money that you accept or the amount of equity that you relinquish in exchange for the fact that you're doing it sort of for entertainment value. You know, it's ultimately um, the producers of that show are worried about producing a television show, not 
creating lucrative business investment opportunities for the TV personalities on the show. So I think it's absolutely um, a, an amazing vehicle for for publicity, uh, especially if you've got a company that sells a lot of products directly to consumers. It is an amazing promotional opportunity. We had something like half a million people go to our website the first time our episode aired. When it re-aired on network TV, it was like, almost to that many, like maybe 400,000. And it's been eight years, I think. It's been so long. Yeah, I think this year is eight years since we appeared on the show. And I still get some months, 10,000 people that are on my website from Googling Shark Tank. And from all over the world because now it airs in over a hundred countries. So it was amazing in terms of visibility, but uh, I would not suggest that somebody peg all of their hopes of succeeding as an entrepreneur to finding success on the show. Mm, kind of interesting. No, uh, and I'm sure, you know, uh, the kind of mileage you can get from, from such a TV shows is, uh, is pretty awesome. But uh, you, you also worked uh, at experience.com as chief experience officer, I think that's that's quite a different uh, job title. How did you uh, get to work at experience.com and how was your experience working there? <laughs> so I loved my time in experience.com. Experience.com was formerly known as Social Survey. And I am very good friends with the founder of Social Survey. Uh, his name is Scott Harris. And Scott was calling me to wish me a Merry Christmas in 2020. And we were just catching up. And he said, hey, don't tell anyone it's not announced yet, but I've acquired the rights to the name experience.com. And we're going to rebrand and relaunch the company uh, because they had this new technology that they were that they were developing and they were going to launch. And I was so excited for him just as a friend and a colleague. And I had a million ideas. And he said, why don't you come do this with us? Why don't you come be our chief experience officer? And I said, you know, I, I'd love to, but you know, I'm speaking and I'm writing. And he said, I know, I know, I know. You can still do all of that stuff, but just, just come be a part of this. And so for one year, I was able to work alongside Scott and so many other people who I love and respect on rebranding their business as experience.com and launching it. Uh, there's a huge presence um, uh, of experience.com uh, in Chennai. Our Chennai office has, gosh, when I was there, it was close to 100 employees. I think it was like 87 or 88 uh engineers and dev team members and, and and other team members doing so much on that brand. So I loved being at experience.com. They are an experience management platform that helps gather real-time experience information to improve customers' experiences with brands before it's too late, like before they become a detractor or before they have the opportunity to say, oh, this brand has written me off. It's um, sort of pulse information when and where you need it. So I am very proud of the work that I did with that team. Today, I have an interesting stat for you. Did you know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x? They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Got interesting. And, you know, since you are a customer experience expert, why do you think experience is so critical and how can experience differentiate a brand from other brands? 
Well, experience is so critical because it's the number one thing that sets you apart from everybody else. To answer the second part of your question, um, experience is the one thing that it's so hard for any of your competitors to copy because it's baked into your culture. It's part of your DNA. And you know, a lot of people say experience is everything, and it is. I mean, there's you can you can look at any of the research from from Gartner or anyone, and and they they find again and again and again that experience is a bigger factor in customers making decisions to work with a brand or not than things like price, than things like distance, and even things like the like the brand name. Uh, people want to work with businesses who will treat them well, where they know what to expect. They know their expectations are going to be exceeded. Um, so that's true, right? Experience is everything. But the inverse of that is true as well. And that's everything is experience. Everything, every interaction, every phone call, every email, every person on your team, from the moment somebody puts on that, you know, name tag, whether it's a literal name tag or a metaphorical name tag, because they're, they're, you know, sitting at a computer or sitting behind a headset, they are your brand. Every single member of your team represents your brand and every single customer has the ability to make or break that reputation when they share their experiences with your brand. So that's what I mean when I say, you know, experience is everything, but everything is experience. You've got to have an intentional experience design that you can carry out um, from, you know, the top down and from the bottom up so that everyone in your company is in alignment in your purpose and the way that you're bringing that to life for every one of your customers. Got it. Interesting. And, uh, you know, when it comes to founders, uh, when they're trying to, uh, trying to build on their marketing channels, what, what channels should they focus on? And, and what is the framework which uh, which lets them know that this channel is the right uh, fit for, for, for their company? I would say don't, you don't think about the channels first. Okay. Like the channels are just the how. And the who and the why are infinitely more important than the how. So the first thing that you should do is figure out your own superpower. Why Why do you exist? What purpose is your brand serving in the world? What are you the absolute best at that is going to change your customers or prospects' lives for the better? Because if you can't make the argument to them in a compelling way that's going to make them understand, then you're no different from your competitors, right? If you can't tell why you're better and different, then you must not be, right, is the is the conclusion that many of them are going to come to. So I would say the very first thing is to start with your story. Um, understand what it is that you're uniquely positioned to do. And then once you have that, the, the the next step, which incidentally is is the next step of my supermodel framework that I talk about, is understanding your customer story. Who are your customers? Who is it that you're trying to reach? Whose lives can you make better, and why? What's the transformation that they're looking for, and how does your product or service fit into that into that need? And only then should you think about the channels. Only then, when you know what your message is, and you know who it's for. Then you can start to ask yourself, well, where do those people hang out? And that will answer your question of what channel should you pay the most attention to or which channel should you spend the most resources toward? Um, that is is really the key, is, is, is 
figuring out where and how to connect your story to every customer's story. And that may be on social media, that may be through radio, that may be through direct mail. Most likely it's a mix of several different things, but you've got to make sure that your story is clear and is in alignment across all of those channels. Okay, got it. And you know, once uh, once you figure out the, the customer, you know how how does the founder um, allocate resources uh, to channels, and how does he get to know you know what if the channel is uh, should should they stop putting resources into into one particular channel, or should they keep going? So, as a founder, there are a couple of things that you should focus on with a disproportionate amount of your time. The first is how thrilled your customers are. Not just satisfied, but but thrilled. Uh, there's a quote that I love from a gentleman named Shiv Singh, uh, who's had a lot of uh, really great jobs over the years. He was at, uh, I think, Visa for a while and uh, one of the soda companies. Now he's at LendingTree. Um, but he said, the purpose of a business is to create a customer who creates customers. And as the founder, that is what you should be focused on. Is every customer having the kind of experience that's going to make them want to come back and tell their friends? And a mistake that a lot of founders make, especially as companies start to scale and they stop working so much in the business and work a little bit more on the business and, and hand things off sometimes without, you know, total uh, SLAs and things like that to be followed, they they focus more on customer acquisition than customer delight or customer retention. And so they're constantly, you know, like looking for new fish in the barrel rather than saying like, oh, let me take this fish out of the barrel and like put it over here in this fish tank and treat it really well. And it's never going to want to leave. That's a terrible analogy, but (laughs) you get the idea. Um, And so I think as a founder, there are a couple of things that you should spend a disproportionate amount of your attention on. Number one is what is your earned growth rate? So EGR is um, sort of the, it's what NPS has turned into. It's it's sort of the evolution of NPS, if you will. And earned growth rate is really a measure of how much of your business is coming from repeat and referral clients relative to your overall business. So basically, are you growing because you're just spending tons of money to acquire new customers and then they never try you again? Or do you have organic growth um, that's coming from, from customers who are coming back or telling their friends? And so that's a measure that you can look at. And the channels that you use for raising your um, your EGR are very different than channels for first-time customer acquisition. So you may look at things like, should we be, uh, should we have an affiliate program? And what does that look like? Should we have a customer advisory board where we're offering things to to those customers who are helping us grow? So that's the the first thing I would say as as a founder, focus your attention on what your earned growth rate is, how long it takes your customers to come back again, how much they're spending the first time, how much they're spending the second time, what are the gaps between all of those, all of those experiences and all of those interactions with your company. Company. Um, and then the second thing I would say is really focus on your employees. Um, every startup founder knows that every single hire is so, so critical. And I don't care if you're bootstrapped or if you've raised, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in a couple of rounds, every person matters because every single one of those employees represents your brand. So you've got to make sure that you define what you want the experience of working with your brand to be 
so that you know who to hire and you know how to train them to create that experience because your brand is not your logo. Your brand is all of those experiences that your customers are having with the members of your team. So as a founder, focus on those two things. Number one, do my customers love me? Are they coming back? Are they telling their friends? Number two, do I have the right employees? Do I have the right people with the right talents doing the right things for the right reasons? And if you focus disproportionately on those two things, again, the channels will take care of themselves because that's, you know, that's that that's a tool, not not a strategy. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Got it, got it. Interesting. And and you talked about, about hiring. You know, I was just wondering, what is the right time for startups to hire their, their you know, first customer experience person? For example, it's a, it's a 10-member startup. Do you think the, uh, the customer experience person should join and uh, in, in uh, should be you know, the first 10 employees or do you think they should come back, uh, come later? I love this question. I think it really depends. It depends on the, on the founder strengths. I will say that from the time you start the company, like when you're a solopreneur, you are the chief experience officer. And as the CEO, like if you're a founder CEO, you are playing a large role in that because it it starts at the top, right? Your employees are going to do what they have modeled to them. I would say probably the right time to hire somebody who's focused on experience is when you think you're ready to hire your top level marketing person, whether that's a CMO or a VP of marketing. And I would encourage you to find someone who is not just a marketer and certainly not just a performance marketer, but someone who's also focused on that experience component. And as your team grows, you may decide to give that person other aspects of the company. You could roll uh, your support and service up to your CXO. You could roll uh, your people up to your CXO. Um because, you know, EX and CX are, are so intrinsically linked. But I would say when you think you need like a head of marketing, instead of finding somebody with that head of marketing title and giving them just that, look for someone who wants to be your head of experience and say, yes, marketing is important, but everything is marketing, right? Every uh, Whether you're you're influencing the first sale or, or the next sale, it's all very much interconnected. And so rather than over-siloing your company by saying, you're responsible for this part of the customer journey, you're responsible for this part of the customer journey, you're responsible for this, to have someone who's looking at it holistically from, you know, reputation all the way through referral and repeat business as what is the customer need? What are they feeling? How are we adding value? How are we differentiating ourselves? Um, That's the kind of person that you want who can also do the marketing part of it. So I would say when you think you're ready to hire your first marketing person, hire an experienced person. Hmm, Got interesting. And and how would you, you know, structure the interview process for, uh, for, for an experienced lead? 
So you should be asking people about the best and worst customer experiences they've had. And they should be able to describe to you in detail what was good and what was bad. And the reason you ask those questions is to get someone, A, who pays attention to those things, who understands that even the little things can be big things. And B, um, you want somebody who can articulate why certain things work and why certain things don't. Uh, another question that I love just in general to ask people is, you know, hey, you've done a lot of research on this company in preparation for this interview. If you were sitting in my seat, what's something you would change right now? What's something that you saw that you questioned or, or that you um, don't understand what it means or why we're doing it or why we're saying it? And so start to ask those types of questions of, hey, no judgment at all. There's no wrong answer. But I want to know from a consumer standpoint or from a customer standpoint, what do you think are some things that that we should we should change or we should talk about or do differently and see what they say. See if they have insights about you know, those types of things, or if they're just like, oh, I don't know, everything looks great. Um, you also probably, I mean, if you're at the point where you're hiring for a chief experience or chief marketing person, you probably have lots of automation. You probably have lots of funnels. You're probably uh, making it easy for people to get content. See how engaged they are. Like, did these people spend 30 seconds on your website or did they spend 10 minutes? Did they sign up for your email blast? Did they read it? Are they following you on socials? So don't be afraid to look for, for those kind of cues. Got it. And, and is there any you know optimal onboarding process for uh, for these hires? Like for, for example, for sales teams, we, we have a ramp up time, uh, which is depends on on the sales cycle. But but what do you feel is the the right onboarding process? Well, I believe you should onboard every single team member with the intention of turning them into a super fan employee because right. your customer experience will never be better than your employee experience. So you want to make every employee feel valued and important from day one. You want to give them an incredible experience. Um, you absolutely need to be checking in on them to see you know, how they're doing and, and, and how things are going. And in terms of the, the on-wrap for somebody on-ramp for someone specifically in an experience position, um, if they are focused solely on customer experience instead of customer and employee experience, they need to be doing interviews with customers. And maybe not interviews, that, that, that may not be the wrong, or that may be the wrong term, but conversations. They need to understand what customers love, what they don't love. Um, they need to be gathering real-time information from customers. They need to have immediate access to all of the dashboards within the company uh, from you know, financials to to user data, all of that, so that they can look for trends and identify things that that are a little bit off. Um, again, they should be thinking about things like earned growth rate, how many people are coming back, how quickly they're coming back, how you're currently tracking the referrals uh, and their repeat business and, and all of those things. So I would say all of that. And then if they're in charge of the employee experience too, obviously they should be having some of those same meetings and getting some of that intelligence about the employees looking at things like employee turnover and, um, you know, employee affinity, things like that. Got it. And uh, are there any early signs that an experienced lead uh, will not work out in a, in, a, in a company? If somebody is not a culture fit or does not seem aligned with the vision and the purpose of the company, it will never work. And, you know, it's like trying to, to get a basketball team to work together. Like at some point, you know, 
you're only going to win if everybody wants to play basketball. If you've got one person on the team who keeps saying, no, guys, we should be doing water polo. Like there's the pool. It's never going to work. You're never going to. I don't care if the water polo guy could be the best basketball player in the world. If he doesn't want to play basketball, you don't want him on your basketball team. So um, having someone who is in alignment with with your purpose, with your vision, with your values is not a nice to have. It is an absolute critical hard stop. If you don't have it, it's not going to work out. Hmm, got it. And uh, you know, creating super fans is uh, it's been a week. Uh, it's been ranked as the number one release in advertising. What made you write the book, and, and what was the entire process of writing the book? Well, thank you. I'm I'm so thrilled uh, to talk about this book. I love it so much. And I wrote the book because I wanted to make customer experience fun. I wanted. I feel like sometimes when people say customer experience, people assume that's just customer service, which could not be further from the truth. Customer experience is, is the responsibility of every single person in the company, not just the service team or not just the support team, not just somebody who's in a call center. And so I wanted to create a book that really illustrated that, but also that didn't feel like a business book. I wanted to write a book that anyone could read and enjoy and find humor in and find insights in and challenge the way they think about their role within a company and their ability to turn a customer into a super fan. So that's really why I wanted to write the book. Got it. And uh, uh, I was just wondering, are there any promotional strategies which which you need to do when you're trying to launch the book? Because... Uh, I written a book and uh, just writing the book did not make me sell uh, the book. I think uh, other than my my mother, nobody read the book. But <laughs> but what, what were the, some of the promotional strategies you you took to you know release the book? I had a really long runway for this book. I had the release date in like March of last year, I think. So I had like 10 months to launch this book and the pre-order was up on Amazon in March. I know that because I just got, they just shipped it and I just had the thing that was like, you bought this on March, whatever. Um, So I had almost a year and I talked about this book a lot and I encouraged people to pre-order it even before I was finished writing it. And it was a long, it was a long writing and editing and production process because I was working um, with with a publishing company that's distributed to to all major retailers. So that's one of the exciting things about this book is that people can go get it, at least in the States, in pretty much uh, every every bookstore. And I would say one of the things that led to the success was getting early champions, people who read advances of the book, who believed in the book, who said, yes, I'll, I'll tweet about your book. I'll put it in my newsletter. I'll tell everybody on social media. I'll have you on my podcast. So that was, that was really instrumental. And then I would say also just writing a memorable book I've had now, I think today's like the third or fourth day since it's come out and I've had several people who bought a copy reach out to me and say, I want 25 copies. Can you autograph them for everybody on my team? Or I want a hundred copies and I want to send them to everybody that I'm training on my sales team. And so writing a book that people wanted to share with their teams was also something that I knew would, or I hoped would resonate and help this book, help this book grow. Got it, got it. Interesting. And yeah, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? My favorite business book is probably Never Lose a Customer Again by Joey Coleman. Awesome. Uh, I will put that in the show notes. And uh, if you could go back in time when you started writing the book, 
uh, creating super fans. What is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I think when I was writing the book, I planned to write a very narrow book and follow it up with more very narrow books in a very short period of time. And one of my very dear friends, Shep Hyken, who wrote the foreword to this book, who has also written many of my favorite business books, um, he was like, no, that's a terrible idea. It is so hard and expensive and time consuming to write a book. You should not do that. Like you need to talk about whatever you want to talk about for the next few years in this book. And so I kind of went back to the drawing board and said, how do I, how do I cover everything I want to cover about experience without making it overwhelming and still keeping it relevant to that avatar who I feel most called to serve. So uh, that's probably what I would go back and do different is, is know from the get-go what I was writing about versus uh, trying to only write. I, I was saying a whole lot about a little instead of a good amount about a lot. Mm, got interesting. And do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? I love Mixmax, which is a Gmail plugin, and it is, um, it's like a combination email tracker. You could use it as a CRM. I don't use it as a CRM, but you, uh, you absolutely could. Um, but it lets me schedule emails, batch emails, see, uh, you know, intelligence around when and how they were opened. Um, so I'm going to say Mixmax. Good. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes and, uh, Brittany, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about uh, creating super fans? Well, you can find me at brittanyhodak.com and you can get creating super fans at Amazon or whatever your favorite bookstore is. Correct. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Brittany, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah, thank you so much, Rohit. It was great to be here. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.